Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. That's good. 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 Well, I'm super excited to be here this morning to be able to bring you uh, God's word. Um, every time I get asked to preach, I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right, I guess, and so they're going to get me to do it again because I can't be doing too, too bad or messing up too much. So I appreciate that. I appreciate your love and support over the uh, couple years since I first started preaching. Um, so thanks for that. Um, I always, like I said, I always enjoy um, being able to bring God's word and preparing a message um, and be able to see uh, what God wants to do, how he wants to do it, um, being a part of that. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I do this every time and I kind of feel bad, but then there's always somebody that I don't really know, and so I feel like I need to kind of reintroduce myself, but everybody else here is like, I feel like I've known you forever, either because this is where I've grown up, so you literally know me forever. Or because I've repeated the same story. So I'm trying to mix it up a little bit. Maybe not give you the exact same story I always give. Um, so instead, I'll give you a, a fun fact. The reason my hair looks like a clown um, is because <laughs> last summer I decided I wanted to shave my head. Okay? I, I did it before a couple years ago and I absolutely loved it. It was nice. It was, didn't have to worry about my hair. And it looked good. It had a nice, nice clean line. I thought it looked good. Anyway, I wanted to do it again last summer. Some people I know... Some people really close to me that I love weren't a huge fan of that idea. So I didn't end up doing it in the summer. Most of them are sitting here. I ended up doing it in September. I shaved my head and I said, okay, this other person who I love very much, though, so I won't say any names because she'll get mad at me, uh, wanted to see what my, I'm not looking at you, mom, because it's you. You know who it is. Uh, said that she wanted to see what I looked like with long hair, and I said, yeah, I kind of see what I, uh, want to see what I look like with long hair, too, because when I was a kid, I had fairly long hair, and when you look at pictures, it was absolutely disgusting, but at the time, I loved it. So I said, I want to see what it's like again. And so, here we are now, my hair's like this. I was supposed to go until the new year, but then, come the new year, um, me and this other person, whom I love very much, uh, I think everybody's starting to catch on now. Um, I forget what happened, what our conversation was, but she said, can you at least do it till, till Easter? And I said, no, that's way too long. I want to do it until your birthday, okay? This person's birthday is in May. I don't know why. I was thinking it was in March. So she says, okay, this is a great idea, deal. I shake hands. I'm like, sweet, I'm getting away with this. I get a whole month shorter. No, I get an extra month longer. And so I'm getting there, slowly but surely. Um, eventually, my hair will be cut and clean again. But I looked at it this morning, and I got like, I said, look, I I can't do anything with it. Anyway, that's a fun fact about me. Um, more uh, important fact, I guess. I kind of went off on the train. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, anyway, when I was young, as a kid, um, I grew up in the church. And at first, uh, I felt called to be in the ministry. I didn't know what that looked like for me um, until four years after I first felt the call. Um, God revealed more specifically into uh, youth ministry work with youth. Still trying to figure out what that looks like, whether it's just anyone who's working with youth, whether it's in a church setting, outside a church, a youth pastor, who knows, all I know is the youth is where my heart is, where my heart, uh, my passion is, as well as, well as worship, um, I love leading worship, and I believe that, um, I don't think it's a talent, I believe it's a gift that God's given me to be able to, um, to uh, do that, and I've been given the opportunity to do that, um, lots of different places, for lots of different people, and God, we always see God do um, a lot of awesome things. Anyway, enough about me. Now you feel like you know me, maybe a little too much. Um, for many of you, you probably realized that Easter was last week. Now Easter is a time where Christians and non-Christians alike celebrate 
something. Christians, we celebrate um, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's kind of what we base our faith off of. Without the death and the resurrection, we really have nothing. There's not really a purpose to what we believe and to what we live out um, as Christians. And then for some people, they celebrate it because they get a couple of days off work and they get a lot of candy and chocolate. Which, by the way, I have lots if anybody wants some because I don't want to eat all of it, but I will. That's the sad part. Um, and it's just, it's a great time for everybody. And anyway, yeah. So Easter has come, and Easter has gone. Jesus is alive. We believe that, we know that, we heard that last week, is that Jesus is alive. Over a thousand of years, this fact has remained true that Jesus is alive and he's sitting at the right hand of the throne in heaven. So the question we want to ask this morning, we want to ask ourselves, we want to ask you, is what's next? You know, we have Christmas, which is a very big part of our faith, the birth of Jesus. Then we have uh, Good Friday and Palm Sunday and Easter, which again, another big part, but what is next? What's next for us? What's next for our faith? So, what we're looking at today is, is after Jesus was risen from the grave, him and Peter have a powerful encounter, and that's what we're going to talk about today. It's an encounter that, that changes Peter's life and should change our lives as well. So, quick background before we get into this. Is a few days before Jesus' death and his resurrection, Jesus had a Passover meal or communion with his disciples. Um, in Mark 14, 26-31, it said that when they had sung a hymn, they went up to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said, you will all fall away, for it is written that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have, I have risen, I will go ahead of you and be gathered. Peter declared, even if they all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted and said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. And we know the story. We know what happens next. Jesus is arrested. He's bit, uh, beaten. He's taken to the cross. Peter denies Jesus three times. And then the disciples all run and are scattered. It's not defined as moments as followers of Jesus. as These people who are supposed to be representing Jesus in the faith. But then three days later, after Jesus dies, Peter hears that the tomb is empty. And he hears about the angels and that Jesus has risen from the dead. And he runs to see if it's true. And it is true. There's no one there. The grave is empty. But then in Luke 24, 12, we're told that Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the ships of linen lying by themselves. And what did he do? Is that he danced to celebrate? No, he said, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now there's a song by um, a man named... Don Francisco, uh, called He's Alive. Some of you may know it, some of you may not. It's an older song. Um, it's a song that a lot of other artists actually did their own versions and renditions of. Um, a popular one being Johnny Cash did this song. Um, I forget what year, but a lot of you probably remember it. Anyway, uh, it says this in the song. It says, something strange had happened there, but just what, I did not know. John believed a miracle, but I just turned to go. This is, the song is written in the perspective of Peter after the, um, the resurrection. Circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me very high because I'd seen them crucify him and then I saw him die. Back inside the house again, the guilt and anguish came 
Everything I promised him just added to my shame. When at last it came to choices I denied, I knew his name, and even if he was alive, it would never be the same. Now there are many educated scholars who believe that this is probably exactly how Peter felt after the resurrection, how he responded to Jesus coming back alive. Because, see, Peter probably lost hope, and he was filled with anguish. And it wasn't that he was, wasn't excited that Jesus was alive and that he made it to see Jesus again. It was the fact that he knew that he betrayed Jesus. He knew that he had failed. He knew that he made a promise to Jesus and then did exactly what he said he wouldn't do. And when at last he came to choices, he denied he knew his name, and even if Jesus were alive, it wouldn't be the same. So, what's Peter going to do about that? Well, he goes fishing. Now, he doesn't just go fishing for a couple hours just to kind of think about things, to ponder, to kind of uh, get a new perspective. He doesn't just go for a couple days, like a weekend trip, just to have some fun. No, he goes back to fishing full time. Jesus is now gone, or thought he was gone, and Peter goes back to what he knew before he knew Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds really familiar for my life and for a lot of other people's lives. See, we have this encounter with Christ, and then in these moments of, of weakness where we feel like we're alone or we feel like God isn't there, what do we do? We go back into our old things before we knew Christ. See, Peter has failed at being a follower of Christ, but he knows how to fish. He knows that that is something that he is good at. And it's at this moment in his life where Jesus comes to pay him a visit. So this morning, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 21. And we're going to start right at verse 1. Not first, second, or third John, just the third John. John 21. We'll go down to we'll go down to 15 to start. So John 21, 1 says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, Okay, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them and said, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say, that, say It is the Lord, he wrapped his other garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw fire and burning coals there, a fish iron, and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon and Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, we'll stop there for now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you that, God, we are able to gather together. Lord, that's something that, that um, in these times, that, Lord, we do not take for granted. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather as a church body to worship you in the fellowship. Lord, I pray um, over these next few minutes as we dive into your word, that, God, you would just, uh, we would not just hear your word, but, God, you would speak through your word. That, God, you would open uh, hearts and eyes and ears to receive and hear and to see all that you have for us this morning, God. Lord, we don't want to hear from, from me. We don't want to hear from us. Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. So, Lord, I pray that you would silence any distractions in our lives right now over the next few minutes and that, God, we would just focus just on you. Lord, I pray that, that God would speak, that nobody would leave this place this morning without hearing from you this morning. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so, basically, the disciples are having a miserable night. They've been out all night, and they've caught nothing. Maybe, maybe they weren't so great fishermen, but they thought they were. Who knows? But they caught nothing all night long. And then this random dude shows up on the beach and says, Hey guys, did you catch anything yet? They're probably sitting there, and they roll their eyes and go, Oh, who's this guy now? Like, we're, having, we're not doing so well, and this guy is making fun of us for not catching anything. So they, they simply just say, No, we didn't catch anything. So then this guy says, Throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they caught so many that it was hard for them to pull the net in. Now, what's cool about the story is that Jesus has actually done this pretty much exact same thing before. In Luke 5, 4 to 6, when Jesus first met Peter, James, and John, he said, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Peter answered, Master, you've worked hard all night. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So, why would Jesus do this for a second time? We can understand why Jesus would do it the first time, because he's trying to show the disciples that, like, look, I'm the Messiah, I, look what I can do, and he's trying to show them, like, I'm the one that you should be following. I'm the one who's here to save you. Follow me. He's revealing himself to his disciples. So why do it the second time? Well, if we keep reading in that passage of Luke, in verse 8, Peter's response to Jesus was this. It says that he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. So Jesus did his first miracle for Peter, and Peter immediately realizes, Hey, look, I am a sinner. I am a sinful man. And now Jesus has done the exact same thing all over again. Why? He does it because Peter already knows that he's a sinful man. And not just a sinful man, but he feels, he knows that he feels empty and useless and worthless and broken because he just failed Jesus. So Jesus comes looking for Peter because Peter needs looking for. I love that picture that no matter where we are in life, whether we're running towards God or running away from God, we don't want anything to do with God, wherever we are, God is coming after us. 
He is always coming after us. He's not sitting up there saying, all right, if you want me, I'm over here. He is coming after us, and it's up to us to go after him as well and meet in the middle. I love that picture. Jesus is coming after us. But Peter needs something that only Jesus can give. We need something that only Jesus can give, and that is forgiveness. We all need Jesus' forgiveness. You know, people deal with their sins in many different ways. One of the ways is people try to hide it by doing uh, good deeds or good things. People believe that, that if you do so many good things, if you volunteer at VBS for the week, then that's going to cover up your sin last week when you were drunk out of your mind or who knows what you're doing. But that's, that's, that's kind of how Peter was, sort of. That's kind of how Peter lived his life. Peter worked at being more righteous than the ones around him. You remember in that passage we read earlier when Jesus says that, that the disciples, that he was going to be betrayed, that the disciples would run away? What did Peter say? Peter said, even though they all fall away, I will not. Why would he say that? Because he believes that he was more righteous than they are. He's probably thinking, oh look, I seen John steal that one time. I can could, I could see him turning away. Oh, I see Matthew do that. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see him walk away. But God, no, not me. I'm good. I got you till the end. He wanted to impress Jesus with his superior righteousness and show that he's a better Christian than the other guys. Why? So that Jesus wouldn't see the darkness and the struggles that he had in his life. He was hiding his sinfulness behind the fact that he could be more righteous than those around him. Now, we can expect that kind of behavior from people who don't know Christ on a personal level. Because in order to feel good about yourself, you have to do good things. If you can be better than your neighbor, better than your boss, or better than your friend, then you feel good about yourself if you're not a Christian. But you see, there's a lot of people in our churches who are like that as well. That's just how it is. You see, we live our Christianity trying to show how much better we are than others by, by comparing the way that how much we give each Sunday or comparing how many um, weekly activities we're involved with, how many ministries we participate in every week. Comparing our position within the church. Second Corinthians 10 12 kind of talks about this mindset. Makes it pretty clear. It says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. In other words, if you go around comparing yourself to others and trying to be better than everyone else, you are not smart. You are not wise. Kind of reminds me of the story that many of you probably know. It's a pretty common story. Um, of these two guys, they're walking in the woods, okay? And then all of a sudden, this bear appears. So what do these guys do? They start running. These two guys are running away from this bear. Then all of a sudden, this one guy stops, and he sits down, and he starts putting on running shoes. And the other guy looks at him and says, what are you doing? No matter what kind of shoes you're wearing, you're not going to outrun that bear. What's the other guy say? He says, look, I don't have to outrun that bear. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> right? And many of us believe that our lives are like that. We think that if we can outrun or out-righteous the other person, 
But God will pay more attention to their sins and to their, their darkness than ours. But the fact is, the truth is, is that no matter how fast we run, we're never going to outrun that bear. We're never going to outrun our sins. The only way that we're going to get away from that is if we give it to God. The only way we can get rid of our sins and get away from that bear is if that sin is removed. You can outrun and try to outrun just as many people as you want, but the fact is, unless you give that sin to God, unless you remove that sin from your life, it's always going to be there, and eventually it will catch up to you. So some people deal with their sins by trying to hide with good deeds. Another way that people try to deal with their sins is they try to hide themselves. And that's what Peter is trying to do. He wants to go back to fishing. That way he doesn't have to face Jesus again. He's ashamed of what he's done. And so he says, okay, instead of confronting this, I'm going to go back to what I know, and hopefully I don't have to deal with this ever again. Because if he has this encounter with Jesus, then all these feelings and emotions that he had of him failing are just going to come up again, and nobody wants to deal with that. We'd rather just... Stick it to the side and not think of it again. There's two other pretty popular people within the Bible who kind of did something similar. Do anybody know who they are? Anybody know who they are? They're the first two people in the world. <laughs> Adam and Eve. Good job, everybody. What did they do? They eat, they eat the fruit that God specifically says, do not eat this. You have this whole garden here, you can eat everything you want, but don't eat that one. Not the one, the tree. Don't eat the fruit off that tree. So what do they do? They go to that one tree and they eat the fruit off of it. And then they hear God walking in the garden and calling out to them. And what do they do? They hide because they are ashamed. Now why do they hide? They hide because if God doesn't see their nakedness, maybe he wouldn't know that they had sinned. If God doesn't see that they're different now, that they're now clothed, then maybe he wouldn't realize, oh, they sinned. And they didn't get away with it. Now, I don't know about you, but that's something in the past that I struggle with. If, of you mess up, you do something, and you kind of make an excuse for yourself and say, okay, I'm just going to stick that inside and not worry about it. Or I'm going to pretend that I didn't realize that that was a sin so that I don't really know that I sinned. And you go on with your life and you hope that that's all good. You don't want, to, you don't want that to come again because you don't want to deal with that. You just leave it as it is and never think about it. But what's wrong with that picture, with that? that mentality. What's wrong is that God already knows that we sin. God knows, knew you when he formed you in your mother's womb. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows exactly what you think and what you say before you think and say. He knows when you sin. So even if you don't confess your sins to God, he still knows. The only way that we can fix this problem is if we come to Jesus and give it to him. We're given a promise in 1 John 1, 9 that says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from most of our unrighteousness, all of our unrighteousness. He will purify us from all of our unrighteousness. But first, we have to confess those sins. First, we have to come to Jesus. 
What does Peter do? Peter doesn't come to Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to Peter. Again, you see that picture. Now, as I was reading this, a passage from Ephesians came to mind, which said, I believe there's this Ephesians, yeah, Ephesians 5. It says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why they say, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jesus is the light of the world. And now Jesus has come to shine his light on Peter. So how does he do that? How does he, how does he shine his light on Peter? Well, he sits down and he has a conversation. He has a meal and just talks with Peter. Alright, let's pick up at verse 15 and keep reading in John 21. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. For very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See, many people fear that the problem is just going to go away if we don't pay any attention to it. But I want to tell you that if you keep sweeping your sins and your problems under the rug, Taking them aside, trying to hide them. Eventually, there's going to build up, and there's going to be a little bump in that rug, and someone's going to trip, and someone's going to get hurt. There will be consequences to your actions. And if you don't deal with it, it's just going to get worse. It'll get worse in your life. It'll get worse in your, your family, in your home. It'll get worse in your church, in your workplace. So Jesus comes to Peter and confronts him before it gets worse. We need to give Jesus our sins, surrender ourselves to him before it gets worse. When Jesus sat down with Peter, he didn't condemn him or insult him or reject him or tell him, if you messed up and bring him down, what does he do? He confronts his sin, but he confronts Peter because he wants to bring Peter back. He loves Peter. So he sits with him and he eats with him and he talks with him. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Now, why did he ask him three times? Why wouldn't one time be enough? Maybe it's because Peter denied him three times. Maybe. But I think that this question that Jesus is asking Peter is one of the most important questions that we could ever be asked. One of the most important questions that we could ever answer. 
Because if we don't love Jesus, nothing else in life matters. Amen. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus didn't say, if you want to be holy or righteous or accepted or anything like that, then you'll keep my commandments. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It all starts with love. So Peter, do you love me? We need to ask ourselves at Bracton, do you love me? Now what's interesting is, after Jesus asks, do you love me? What does he tell Peter to do? He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. Jesus doesn't say, okay, now, if you love me, then you need to go to Bible study. Now, Bible study is really important. We need to study our Bibles if we want to be able to hear from God. This is God's way of speaking to us and helping us and guiding us through life. This is God's roadmap for life. We need to study the Bible. We need to know the Bible. But that's not what Jesus says to do. Yes, it's important. Jesus doesn't say, go to church every Sunday or go to Sunday school. Don't make, make sure you don't miss a day. Again, those things are important. God asks us and he wants us to gather together as a body of Christ and to worship him in fellowship and communion and to take uh, break bread together. He wants us to do all these things, but that's not what he tells Peter to do. Jesus doesn't say that if you love me, then you will live, make sure you live a righteous life. Now, do we, should we be striving to live the most Christ-like, righteous life that we can? Yes, we should. We want to become like Christ, and if we want to uh, live a life that is pleasing to God, then we should be striving to be more like Him. All these things are important, but that's not what Jesus asked Peter to do. Because you can do all these things, but if you don't love Christ, if you don't have love for Christ and for others, then all these things don't matter. So if you love me, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. Why? Because Christianity isn't about you. Christianity isn't the uh, you being the Lone Ranger. Christianity isn't about your personal desires and wants. See, Jesus saved you last week on the cross. Why? So that you could become like him. We all know John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. But do we know 1 John 3.16? 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. <coughs> kind of not exactly the same, but we kind of see that there's similarities. But then, 1 John goes on to say, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In other words, if you want to be like Jesus, you need to love like he loved. And how do we love like he loved? Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. So this morning, we need to ask ourselves, do you love him? Because if you do, that's what we need to do. This is what love for Christ is. Is all about. So as we begin to wrap things up, um, until you realize that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, you're never really going to love Jesus. Until you realize that you need Jesus more than he needs you, you're not going to love him like you should. 
You see, that's what Peter's problem was all along. He thought that Jesus needed him. Peter viewed himself as like Jesus' bodyguard or, or muscle, his protector. Like no one was going to touch Jesus and no one's going to bother Jesus as long as Peter was around. He thought that Jesus needed him. So Peter thought, okay, Jesus needs me, I'm fine, I'm good, don't have to worry about me. But it was only when Peter realized that he failed, that he had sinned, that he really messed up, that he knew how much he really needed Jesus. And that's where this meal down on the shore kind of helped him realize the truth that he needs Jesus. What's cool is from that day on, from that moment that, that him and Jesus had eating on the shore, the fish and the bread, Peter's messages in the Holy Services were the same thing. You've sinned, you failed, and you need Jesus. That was the truth that Peter went on to, to speak and to write his letters on. Everywhere Peter preached, he made sure his audience knew that they had sinned, that they needed Jesus. It got to the point that, that the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem actually wrote him back a letter and said, look, our people kind of feel guilty now as if Jesus' blood was on our hands, as if it was our fault. So the question is, were they guilty? Were they guilty of Jesus' blood? Yes. Because the truth is that we all are. Each and every one of us, our sin put Jesus on the cross last week. Those people had sinned. You have sinned. I have sinned. We all put Jesus on that cross. His blood is on all our hands. We need Jesus. In one of Peter's most famous sermons in Acts 2, Peter tells the crowd, he said, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he was trying to show them, bring them to a place where they realized that they needed Jesus. To the point where they wanted to love Jesus. Because when you love Jesus, then you will keep his commands. When you love Jesus, good deeds and wanting to go to church and Bible study will flow from that. But it all comes back to love. He goes on to say that when they heard this, that they had sinned, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We need to ask ourselves now, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This morning, if you love Jesus, you'll come to him on his terms. As the worship team prepares for our closing song, I just want to leave you with this. I want to urge you this morning to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Ask yourself, do you truly love Jesus? Have you confessed your sins to him, or are you really just sweeping them under the rug and trying to act like you have it all together, like there's nothing wrong? See, works will never get you into heaven. Faith, trust, and hope in Jesus will, and good deeds will develop from that. So this morning, I want to encourage you to not leave this place until you've had your encounter with Jesus, until you've had your meal with him on the shore. 
not actually on the shore or have a meal, but the altar close enough. Or where you're at. Don't leave this place until you realize that you need Jesus. Jesus doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. No matter where you are in life, whether you're running towards God, whether you're kind of just sitting in one spot, not really sure where to go, or whether you're running in a total opposite direction, God, Jesus, is running after you with his arms wide open. He's saying, sons, daughters, come to me because he loves you. So this morning, I want to encourage you. Ask yourself, do you love Jesus? And again, don't leave this place until you've had your encounter with Jesus, until you know that you were in the right with God.